High atop a hill overlooking a quiet valley, the old church stood as it had for almost 100 years. For the locals, the steeple served as a signpost of sorts. If you could see the steeple, you knew where you were. It was a plain building, much like the people who gathered inside of it. It had straight wooden pews and a creaky wooden floor. There was a church bell that never quite rang true, and a cantankerous organ that might play if it felt so inclined. But high up on the wall behind the altar, at the tallest point of the sanctuary, there was a beautiful stained glass window that gleamed in the sunlight and cast shadows across the floor as the clouds drifted over the hills. Children would stare up at the squares of glass, charmed by the simple interaction of color and light. That ornate and vibrant window stood in sharp contrast to the plain, utilitarian decor of the rest of the church. One day, a few years back, a heavy storm blew through the valley. The winter winds were fierce and bitter, and no one really ventured outside for almost a week. When Sunday came, the people dutifully bundled up against the cold, made their way to church, and quietly shuffled into the hard wooden pews and waited for the cantankerous organ to start up. But then, all at once, they saw what had happened. Their window had been shattered by the wind. Fragments of red and blue, green and gold glass littered the floor. Sadness hung in the bitter, still air. The one object of true beauty had been shattered by forces both powerful and unpredictable. In the midst of their stunned silence, an old man got up from his usual spot and walked towards the altar. The sound of broken and breaking glass under his feet echoed off the stark stone walls. Gently, he knelt down and began to pick up bits of broken glass, piece by piece. Slowly, others left their pews and walked towards the man. Their silence gave way to doubt and frustration. They said, that window's not fixable, not worth the trouble. Some let their bitterness do the talking, saying, well, it never really looked quite right in the first place. The old man listened for a bit, then turned back to his work, carefully picking up the bits of glass and placing them gently in a basket on the altar. The room grew again quiet and still, the naysayers silenced in the face of steadfast resolve. After a few minutes, the old man began to speak, almost in a whisper. He said, This window was beautiful, but it's been torn apart, and not a one of us saw it coming. But God saw it coming. He knew. There's not a gentle breeze blows through this valley without him knowing about it. It seems to me that he's always taken broken things, broken people, and putting them back together. If you haven't figured out where we're headed this morning, we're going to talk about brokenness. We're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk about confession. And before you get too nervous, let's just agree together today about one simple little fact. We are all broken. You see, in the church today, it's easy to put on the facade that we're whole, 
But yet that wholeness only comes because of the redemptive power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we prepare to receive a new pastor, I thought today would be a perfect day for us to just do business with God. Now, some of you, I can tell already, your hands are sweating. If you're a lady, they're just moist or perspiring. Some of you are nervous because you're saying, what is this crazy pastor going to make us do? Well, I'm not going to make you do anything today. But I am going to ask that the Holy Spirit bring conviction, not condemnation. I want the Holy Spirit to move you, but I have no desire to manipulate you. I have a prayer today that God would reveal truth to us and that we would take a deep, long drink at the well of one verse. You say, Pastor John, one verse for the whole day? Yeah, for the whole day. And there will be a time at the end of this message for you to do business with God. So I just want to prepare you. You'll need this because as part of our message this morning, you're going to have some time to reflect on this handout. So go ahead and take your hand out with me, and we're looking at brokenness, the foundation of forgiveness. And I will have you stand in honor of God's Word, and it's going to be a short standing time together from, uh, from Psalms 51, 17, one verse with a few illustrations to go with it. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, Thou will not despise. Heavenly Father, as we place our palms out in front of us right now, everyone in this room, our hands outstretched are signifying that we want to receive from You today. May the messenger not confuse the message. In Jesus' name, amen. As I prepared this message on confession or forgiveness or brokenness, I got to tell you, my head went a variety of directions this past week. I wasn't exactly sure where this plane was going to land, and then I got away for a few days and got to kind of think about it, and I was reminded how appropriate, because in our national psyche, we've been dealing with the idea of brokenness, confession, and forgiveness and of course, Oprah helped us do that as we listened to Lance Armstrong's confession after stonewalling for years his denial about the use of performance-enhancing drugs in the Tour de France. And the title of this USA Today article was, Can You Forgive? America's About Second Chances. Will Lance Get His? And today, maybe this is your second chance day. Maybe today is your chance to be able to say, God, I got to clear the deck on some stuff that I've been holding back, some things I need to deal with, some things I need to confess. And so today, we want to ask this question, is there anything God 
needs to deal with in your life? Is there any unconfessed sin that you need to repent of? Does God want to get your attention? And ultimately, what kind of sacrifice does God want from us? Now, before some of you just jump to a conclusion that this is a message about sin management, that's not where I'm headed. But I do know this, is that God wants us to be dependent on Him and humble before Him and take a hard look at our life before we get much farther in this process with bringing a pastor to us. And so I want to give to you, first of all, the context of brokenness. If you look at that verse in Psalm 51, 17, it comes in the broader context of David's confession. David writes this Psalm 51, it's one of his most famous Psalms after Psalm 23, because of the confrontation that Nathan has with David a year after his sin of adultery with uh, Bathsheba and ultimately the, the arrangement for Uriah to be brought to the front lines and ultimately murdered. And so, ultimately, it's one of these seven poems or psalms, what we call the penitential psalms. And for those of you who like to study these, I want to give those to you because these are all psalms of confession. And when you're dealing with your own life, these are great psalms to confess the Lord and pray through. So, Psalm 36, 32, 38, 51, which we'll be in today, Psalm 102, 130, and 130. 43. And I want to say the reason I'm asking you this is because as I was studying that passage, it reminded me of another passage which we won't deal with in Joshua chapter 7. And it's called the sin in Achan's camp, and I won't unpack that, but the bottom line is I want to ask you today, is there anything in your life that's hindering God's blessing here at ABF? Is there a strained relationship between you and another believer here? you got to make that right today, this week. Maybe there is unforgiveness in your heart towards someone. Maybe you've had a conflict. Maybe there's been difficulty that's caused you to step back and question things here. By the way, all that stuff is legitimate feelings. But at a certain point, we honor God and say, I've got to put the past behind me, and we've got to move forward. And I believe today is the fulcrum of my six months with you. This is the fulcrum of saying, we've prepared, we've prayed, we've played, we've planned, we've made progress, and any other P you can come up with. But the bottom line today, we want to move forward positionally, with the Lord, and practically with one another. You see, we're not only wanting to talk today about your vertical relationship with the Lord, but anything that horizontally is in disarray here in the body. We don't want on our watch, on our behalf, because of something we've been holding on to, a bitterness, and anger, whatever that might be, it's time to move forward. Now, for some of you who are relatively new to the church, you're going, oh, what is he talking about? Is there something I don't know? Is there some inside story? Well, let me, let me just suggest to you that as I've been here, that here's a couple analysis I have of our church. Number one, 
you have a horrible case of the normals. You say, what is that? Any church in transition is going to have conflict, is going to have some uncertainty. There will be distrust of leaders. There will be, you know, accusations made. There will be feelings that will be hurt. Anytime you have a pastor leave or a beloved staff member leave a church, there's going to be hurt. And what I'm asking you today, in your heart, all of you, to say, do I need to let go of something today so I'm not the cause or hindrance for the lack of blessing that God would withhold from this place? Now, you may want to argue with me theologically that God cares about ABF because there's a bunch of other churches He could have more interest in today. My goodness, there's 300,000 of us meeting approximately at this time across the country. That's how many churches there are. And I would say absolutely God is interested in your progress today. I said it to you a long time ago. Remember, God's more interested in your direction, though, than your perfection. And all I'm asking you today is open your heart up to the Holy Spirit. Whatever He tells you to do, then do it. And so as we look at this context and these psalms that David has written, he says and he alludes there in verse 16 that he's not talking about physical animal sacrifices. He knows that God wants more from him than just offering a burnt offering or a sin offering because of his sin. And when we are serious about our relationship with God, it affects how we view sin in our life. God wants something more than that from us. Now, I realize the word sin is not a popular topic. And in fact, the litmus test of conservative evangelicalism is whether I would be afraid or not to be afraid to say the word sin. Let me tell you, I have no problem saying, I am a sinner. And by connection with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, let's say together, we are sinners. Now, I don't need to beat you up about that. We beat ourselves enough up about our past and what we can't let go of and what God wants to forgive. And yet, I do know this. Write this passage down. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 has been one of those things that I've meditated on, and I'm going to ask you to meditate on it at the end of our sermon. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. That's my prayer today. And so, I want to talk to you a little bit about brokenness. Now, brokenness is more than the following three things. First of all, brokenness is more than an intellectual acknowledgement of sin. It's more than an intellectual acknowledgement of sin. Intellectual assent rarely produces life change. In fact, we know that from the book of James. James says, you believe there's a God? That's fine, but even the devils believe there's a God. So whether it's our basic view of who God is, just an intellectual acknowledgement of sin isn't enough. Write this down. God doesn't want ritual without repentance. Now, the sacrificial system was important because it was a foretaste. It was a symbolic gesture of the, the sacrifice lamb representing the ultimate Messiah who would be our sacrifice for our sins. 
And one of the things I know when we intellectualize our sin is when we do this as a church. When we are more concerned about other people's sins than our own. That's why he says in the Scriptures, take what out of your eye? Take that log out of your eye, and we think it's, and, and, and that speck is really someone else's log and vice versa. Number two, the perfunctory action of sacrifice. Brokenness is more than the perfunctory action of sacrifice. In Psalm 40, verse 6, I think it's uh, in your, your notes there, it says, sacrifice and meal offering thou hast not desired, Burnt offering and sin offering thou has not required. Now, some of you say, wait, wait, wait. How come he required it? Is he doubling back here? He's saying, yeah, that's fine. But it can't be absent a change in your heart. Now, David knew the law. The sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the ultimate murder, that, that was only punishable by what, according to Old Testament law? Death. In fact, David would have... Uh, he would have gladly given a hundred animal sacrifices if he could have made things right. And ultimately, the great news of the gospel is both grace and mercy, which again, remember that. We all deserve the penalty of our sin. But the great news of the gospel, once again, is this. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, and God gives us both. Now, I want to ask you, because you're saying, well, last time I checked, I'm not sacrificing goats and turtle doves and animals. He says that's what he doesn't want. So what's our modern-day parallel to those kinds of sacrifices that begin the process of confession but don't actually complete it for us? Well, I want to suggest just a couple ideas, and you're going to have to squeeze these into your notes here. Number one, I think it's confession without contrition. It's just confessing without contrition. And it was amazing. I don't know who wrote this article, but they were saying that Lance Armstrong needs to do four things. He needs to confess, I did it. He needs contrition, I'm sorry I did it. He needs conversion, their word, not mine. Great witnessing opportunity. I will not do it again. And atonement, their word, not mine. I will do this because I did that. I can die a, a peaceful man. USA Today shared aspects of the gospel for me to share with you. Unbelievable. So it's confession without contrition. That's how we kind of do our modern-day sacrifices. It's symbolic activity, number two, that masks our true condition. We get all involved in doing stuff and good deeds because it somehow makes us feel better about the junk we're carrying from our past. I think also sometimes this perfunctory thing we do is we say the words, I'm sorry, instead of what I think is much more important when we've sinned, especially against one another. I'm sorry, and they say to you, I'm sorry too, you jerk, right? Instead of saying, I was wrong, would you forgive me? You know, I've had to utter those words so many times in so many places, in so many situations, I'm embarrassed by it. You would think that a man of the cloth 
would have been much more spiritually refined and that there would have been growth spiritually that you would get to the point where you'd never have to utter those words. But I got to tell you, the more you move towards God, the more you realize your depravity. You cannot just trumpet God's grace and mercy without taking a harder look at your own depravity, and they go hand in hand. I want you to do something this week. I would like you to fast and pray at least one day this week for Pastor Scott and Adrian and for this church. I'm going to strategically pick a day where I don't have an appointment already scheduled with a food uh, engagement. For me, it might be Wednesday, might be Thursday, might be both Wednesday and Thursday. But I can tell you this, when I fast and pray, God bubbles up stuff in my life that I normally have stuffed down and don't want to deal with. And I know some of you go, but I will get a headache. I will be cranky. I will be unbearable to live with. Well, that's kind of like it is before God when our sin. It makes things uncomfortable, and we can't live that way. So I'll leave it to you. You pick the day, but would you pray and fast? Maybe it's a juice fast. Maybe it's just you put concerted time of prayer in praying for our church. So brokenness is more than intellectual acknowledgement of sin. It's not just the perfunctory action of sacrifice, and it's more than the admission of guilt without a heart change. Brokenness is more than an admission of guilt without a heart change. God wants your heart. What does that mean? Well, I think for some of us, we intellectualize our faith. Does he have your head or does he have your heart? He wants both. It's not just this intellectual exercise. Again, if you watch the interview, I don't think Lance completely came clean. And if you think about other famous people, did they really come clean? Did Pete Rose really come clean in his book? Did President Clinton come clean? Did Kobe Bryant come clean? Did Bobby Petrino come clean? I mean, the list goes on and on, and at some point, there has to be a heart change. There has to be life change. And so, what is the conduct of brokenness? God says in this passage, He desires or finds pleasure in a broken spirit reflected in a contrite heart. So, I want to look at those two words, a broken spirit reflected in a contrite heart. Broken means shabar, to burst, to crush, to destroy, to shatter, to break. And I forgot my prop, but I have it here. It literally means to, to take the stuff in your life and be willing to submit your life to God. And oftentimes, it's in the broken places that the video talked about that we often see God. Because he's, he's putting us back together. We're all that broken stained glass. And so this idea of break, Shabar, is to break in two. Now, that was pretty easy. But what happens sometimes is that we let our sin calcify. And imagine that we let this get a little bigger. And so it's a little thicker thing. And then it's a little harder to break, but God can get a hold of us. But some of us, we've so calcified our heart that in fact, we can't break. We're, we're stuck. And I think some of you that thickness of your spiritual soul is such, it takes an extraordinary act 
for us to be broken. Don't wait. Don't let things build up so that you cannot allow God to speak to you, to break you. So God wants us to admit we are incapable of living life apart from Him. That brokenness says, yep, I can't do this. I can't put all the pieces of the broken glass of my life back together. I need the Lord to do that. And so here's what I want to suggest if you want to apply this, is give up. Quit giving excuses about how you can't do this or you won't do that or God could never forgive me for that. You got to give up on that idea. God can give up. We are broken. We need Him to put us back together. Kind of a spiritual Humpty Dumpty, right? I'll just let someone remember the rhyme because I can't. But all I know is this egg fell off a, a fence. And Can someone say it for me? Can, can, we, can someone help me here? What? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. You see, that's how we kind of live our spiritual life. We think there's no way that we can put this back together. You've been through a painful divorce. How could God ever heal that? Or we've been through a broken relationship that we think, this person hates me. They never want to see me again. Or maybe there's an estrangement between you and your children or your grandchildren. Or maybe there's been a business development and it's an unsafe work environment. I don't, know, I don't know what your situation is, but there are things that are beyond our control. And unfortunately, we reside with a psychological view of restoration like Humpty. And in of our own power, we can't be put back together. We are broken. But he says he also wants, number two, a contrite spirit to collapse, to beat to pieces. It's like crushing medicine in a in a, in a Petri dish and, and grinding up uh, the, the, the pieces of medicine there, like a compounding pharmacy if you've ever been to one. See, David's sin was such that he had to go back to the priest for forgiveness, to be welcomed back into the assembly, and ultimately he did have to offer that burnt sin offering, or that, burnt, that sin offering, or a burnt offering. You see, the Pharisees kind of mocked that kind of openness and, and transparency, Another way it's written in the message, it says it this way, I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives ready for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. And so not only does he want to break you, give up on that fact that you can put yourself back together again and give in. God wants all of you. Years ago, I read a little book called My Heart, Christ's Home by Robert Boy Munger, it's a little devotional tract where he went through and using the, the rooms of a house to illustrate the things we kind of hide from God. And yeah, I'll, I'll yield this to you, but I don't want to give this aspect of my life to you. And I want to suggest to you that sometimes, if you want to know what you're holding back from God, ask yourself this question, what is the thing I fear the most in my life? And ultimately, that is your God, little g. It's the thing that you want to keep locked up apart from God because He can't be trusted to take all that from you. I mean, He can do this part of your life, but can He really understand that part? For those of you who are single and you're saying, what in the world is God doing? Why am I not yet married? 
Why are all these other doofuses out there, they're married, why, aren't, why am I not married, right? In fact, you look around and you go, are you kidding me, God? That guy's a jerk and he got married? I won't say whether that's a male or female comment, I'll just let you leave that for yourself, but maybe that's one area. I can't give my singleness to the Lord. Or maybe you can't give the fact that you've tried to have children and, and you can't. And that infertility causes you to not trust God because that little area you're holding on to. Or maybe there's your favorite bitterness. Or there's your favorite closet sin. But God says, give in. He wants all of you. So I want to ask about the character of brokenness. Why does God want broken people? I mean, man, John, this is not really that positive of a message. Before we have this joyful occasion of a new pastor, you're kind of a downer. You know, silly boy, can't you just give us some little pablum of happiness and let us believe something, then be happy? Yeah, I can, but I want you to be prepared. So I want to suggest there are three things that brokenness does for you. Why does God want broken people? Number one, brokenness reflects dependence. Brokenness reflects dependence. It's the submission to His will, not just complying to it. Maybe you've been in the workplace where, yeah, you had to comply to a workplace standard, but you didn't like it. He doesn't want this compliance. He wants all of you. And in fact, you want to do that in your parenting, right? You want to capture your child's heart, not just their will, not just their compliance. So brokenness reflects this dependence. I can't do this without you, God. And you realize that if I'm arrogant and prideful, I realize that I think I can all that. Now, I, I told you before that some of us don't think we're that bad off, right? This reminded some of us go through the Christian life going, you know, God would be kind of glad to get me in His team because I'm pretty rad. I'm pretty cool. In fact, my sin isn't as bad as your sins. In fact, all this front section, oh my goodness. I pick on them all the week. Let's pick on this side. It's not as bad as these guys in the second row here. They sit up front kissing up to the pastor every week, and they're, they're smiling at his messages. Amen. Amen. Preach it, brother. You see, we can't live the Christian life apart from God. And so you need to, first of all, if it reflects dependence, you need to see God as your sovereign king. God as your sovereign king. Secondly, brokenness reveals or requires healing. Brokenness requires you to be healed. Isaiah 53, 6, by your wounds you were healed. Now, I don't take the view of that. That means all physical suffering must be healed if you're a believer. That's a false theology that some churches teach. But I do believe this. He wants to bring healing to you. He wants to bring spiritual healing to you. Ultimately, he will be bringing physical healing to you even if you have to wait to heaven to be physically healed. And our life is broken by a sin wound that only He can heal. If God had a doctor's office and He had a sign out of it, He would say this, I can't fix it until it's broken. I can't fix it until it's broken. And so not only do you see God as your sovereign king, you see God as the great physician. You see God as the great physician in your life. I want to pause here. I believe the unfinished business in our church is that some of you 
have unfinished business with one another. Now you're really getting nervous. And I realize that for some of you, even saying that brings back painful, visceral reaction. Well, if they would just own their stuff, I could own my stuff. How about this? How about you own your stuff regardless of whether that other person owns their stuff? It's a hard thing to do. I've had to do some things where I had to go and own my part of it. And in my mind, I was 1% of the problem. They were 99% of the problem. You know, one of the hardest things to do is to humble myself and own my 1%. By the way, it's probably much bigger than that. But in my mind, it was only one. In their mind, it was probably 87%, right? So they thought, fine, this yo-yo owns up to this stuff. And the whole time I'm going, I'm owning my part. Can you own any part of your part? And one of the hardest things to do is to own your stuff when no, the other person doesn't own any of their stuff. Anybody else besides me ever been there? Just in case, because I'd like to start a little support group for us. You know, pity party, misery loves company. Oh, I don't know. Of course, it's hard because here's what God's called you to do as a Christ follower. Regardless of who does what out there, you, you be right. You take care of business here. And that's not easy. And I admit it, it is not easy. So brokenness requires healing. Not only do we see God as our sovereign king and as our great physician, but thirdly, brokenness reveals repentance. When you're broken, it leads you to repentance. And truly, repentance means that you come to your senses. Proverbs, or a prodigal son in Luke 15, he came to his senses. If you've not heard that message, the very first message I preached here last July was from Luke 15. Go back and watch that. But sometimes we think repentance is kind of like what happens with you and your wife in the car. Think of a husband and wife. They're in the car. The wife is being the navigator, which is true to our experience. She navigates. I'm just her chauffeur. Um, she tells her husband to turn right at the very next stoplight, and by mistake, he turns left. And when he realizes what he's done, he says to his wife, I'm so sorry, dear. I went the wrong way, but if that all he does, it's not enough. His saying sorry isn't getting them any closer to where they want to be. And if he doesn't turn around, he's not going to get to where he's supposed to go. In fact, he's is, is not stopping them. He's getting farther and farther away from where he's supposed to be. And so to get where they want to be, he needs to stop the car, turn it around, and go back on the correct path that his wife told him to take in the first place. That's what it's like with repentance. I'm going this direction, and I'm taking a 180 degree, and I'm turning around. I admit I made a wrong turn. I admit I messed up. I admit that. And so God is not only your sovereign king, he's not only your great physician, but you see God as the ultimate high priest. I'm going to ask Chad to come and to play for a moment here and we're going to have a considerable amount of time to reflect this morning because ultimately brokenness and forgiveness for all of us, there's a contrast. In your notes, I've given you a little handout by Nancy DeMoss. It's called The Heart That God Revives. I'd like you to get it out at this time. And I believe she's done a masterful job of comparing proud people with broken people because the enemy of brokenness is pride. The enemy of brokenness is pride. 
And I got to tell you, I've taken this study many, many times over the years. And I've taken time to say, God, what am I really about here? I want everybody to think that I'm a broken person. Look at all those nice things that broken people represent. But I can tell you, more often than not, I got to check some of these boxes on the pride side. And I'm going to let you do that in a moment. I just picked a few of them to illustrate for you here. Because so often that's the contradiction of our life. You see, proud people are self-righteous and they focus on the failures of others. Broken people are overwhelmed with a sense of their own spiritual need. Let's put those slides up there as I go, okay? You focusing on others? Are you focusing on your own spiritual need? Proud people have a critical spirit. They look at everyone else's faults with a microscope, but on their own with a telescope. Broken people are compassionate. They forgive because they know how much they have been forgiven. Proud people assert their rights and are demanding. Broken people yield their rights and are meek. Proud people feel confident in how much they know. Broken people are humbled by how much, how very much they have to learn. Proud people are concerned with being respectable and care what other people think. Broken people are concerned with being real and what God thinks. Proud people are concerned over the consequences of their sin, but broken people are grieved over the cause of their sin. And ultimately, proud people don't think they need revival. In fact, they're sure everyone else does, but broken people sense their need for a fresh encounter with God and want His filling. Today is a day of reckoning for us as a church. It's time to kneel at the altar, to kneel at our chairs, to come forward. If whatever it takes for you to do business with God, and I realize that's going to happen on multiple levels today. For some of you, you've got to make things right with God. There's something that's got you stuck that you can't trust God with your life. You've been exploring truth claims about Jesus but you have never yielded your life to Him as Lord. Today is that day. For some of you, you realize I can't be broken because I am unreconciled with a brother or sister in Christ, whether here in this place or someone not here. And maybe God's calling you to make the first call, to pick up the phone and say, hey, can we have coffee? I've got somebody oh, I got to do that with. Doggone it, I wanted to do it before I could preach this message, but I didn't do it yet. It's someone who's wounded me deeply from a former church. And I've held that bitterness. And I'm preaching this message today, and God says, Hey, physician, take your own medicine. So I'm going out there on 
a limb today, I'd give you permission to ask me, did I make the call? Give me till Sunday. Give me, give me seven days, okay? Today. And some of you maybe need to make that call. So I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, the, I'm in the deep end of the pool with all of you on that one. By the way, when we don't want to do that, let me just tell you what we do. We rationalize and say, well, it wasn't that big a deal. Really? Because you've been sucking on that sin for a long time. You've been regurgitating that offense for a long time. You've been replaying that thing in your mind for a long time. Oh, but it's not really that big a deal. Yeah, it is a big deal because the fact that it, God brings it back to you says it's a bigger deal than you were ever willing to make it. And in fact, only time doesn't heal that wound. It just causes it to fester. And so, I want you to take this sheet. And we're going to sing in a bit, but we're not going to sing for a while. And I just want you to take the time and listen to the music. And I want you to go through it. There are 21 couplets. We rarely take the time for solitude in a public service. But today is a time of solitude of repentance. And you repent as you go through this, as God leads you. If you have nothing, then you have nothing. We don't have to invent anything today. We've got plenty of stuff to deal with. For some of you, the best way to do that and admit it is to come and kneel across here. Now, that's exceedingly difficult. We've done it a couple times in the last four or five months because you say, I don't want to make a spectacle of myself, and shouldn't I just pray in, in private? Yeah, you can. But for some of you, that's the way you put your kind of stake in the sand, knowing that I'm not looking back anymore. For some, you're just going to kneel, turn around, and put your, bury your head in, in the seats you're sitting in. And you're going to pour your heart out to God. But when we leave today, other than someone you've got to go talk to, it's done. And you are forgiven. And the past of your past is done. It's over. God forgave you for it. So maybe you've been holding yourself captive on stuff. But let's get prepared. Prepare our hearts that over this next week, as Scott and Adrian come, that we, we are pure before God. We have no unconfessed sin. We are ready to receive what God wants to give us, and we're going to move forward. So I'm going to shut up. I'm going to do the same thing. And over time, over the next three or four minutes, you just reflect. And then we're going to go into a time of worship as we conclude. That's what he's in the business of doing, isn't it? He takes that brokenness, he takes those pieces of our life that we messed up, and he's putting together a beautiful mosaic. And he does it not just as individuals, but he's doing it here at ABF. He's making something beautiful here. Some of you have been waiting for him 
for a long time. And the cool thing is he's been working behind the scenes longer than you've been praying for that. As I went through this list, there were six things that I had to check, go, ooh, ouch, ooh. And I would just want to suggest to you that you don't have to be mired in, oh, man, I messed up. But what I'm doing is, God, would you make the things in the right column true of my life? Use this as a time this week to reflect on what God wants to do in you. And he will make beautiful things out of the broken parts, out of the dust of our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And now to him who is the ultimate overcomer, to him who is the sovereign king, to him who is the great physician, to the one who heals our brokenness, be all the glory and power and dominion and majesty now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.